Welcome to Becoming. We are grateful to have you in our audience. Today, our guest is Chuck Mollard. Chuck is the author of The Rise of the Agile Leader. He is also the founder and CEO of MCG Partners, a consulting firm specializing in leadership and talent optimization. For over 30 years, he has helped clients align business and people strategy for maximum results. As a recognized expert in leadership effectiveness, Chuck specializes in coaching and advising senior executives and leadership teams through times of rapid growth, mergers and acquisitions, and change. Some of his clients are Bose, Takeda Pharmaceutical, Dell, Raytheon, Staples, Reebok, Adidas, KM Foods, the list goes on. He was also a cranberry grower and owner with Ocean Spray. So Chuck, welcome. We are thrilled to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Lisa. Costa, very nice to meet both of you. I'm excited to be here. We were really impressed with this book. Both Costa and I have, have, have read it. And, you know, there's a lot of books that are written on management style. And sometimes when I read them, I get a little shiny object or get distracted and think, eh, you know what, that sounds good. But yeah, it's a little too corporate. It's a little too, you know, <laughs> too technical. And in reading your book, I mean, you're, it's there's so many golden nuggets in there and they're so practical and there's so many different levers that a leader could tap on to make some really incremental changes. So why don't, if you don't mind, just to give a little bit of background to our audience, what moved you to write the book and why now? So, no, I appreciate that. It's a very fair question. Um, uh, God, there's, there's multiple things in that. Um, I would say a couple of things. So it probably starts back in, in my journey, you know, back when I started my firm in 2007 and when I decided to become an executive coach and, and, and also running and owning a firm. So I do both, which is kind of unusual. I'm not a solo practitioner. I've got a team of over 30 people and, um, you know, we've been doing great work for the last, uh, you know, 15 and a half years. And I'm very excited and, and thankful for the team that I have. But you know, part of that journey was some of my own trials and tribulations as a leader um, earlier in my career. I, mean, I was your classic high performer, high achiever, uh, got great results. And then when I started managing and building teams and the higher rows in the organization, I was lucky enough to have a boss that asked if I uh, had a 360 assessment before. For those of you who are not familiar with a 360 assessment, essentially is confidential feedback from your boss, your peers, your subordinates. You know, the key people. And it's really about helping improve your self-awareness, understanding how you see yourself versus how others see you. And I'm getting some really tough feedback. And I talk about this in my book. Um, and it was a very humbling experience. Of course, my first reaction was, well, screw all these people because look at all the great results I get. And I was only half kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't exactly the most uh, emotionally mature person back in 1999. And my boss laughed and he... Um, and he said, you know, I kind of feel you were going to say that. And, uh, and he said, she said, my mess, the message was very simple, you know, and this, I think we can all relate to this message in some way. He said, look, Chuck, you're, you're always going to be successful. Why? Because you work hard, you get results. Um, you've got drive, you've got passion, you know how to build businesses, you care about people. Um, you know, how to get, you know how to make things happen. He said, but. You don't necessarily understand the leadership part of your job. You get the management part of it. But if you want to really get to my level one day, which is to be a CEO, 
you have to really understand the leadership part of your job. And that was the message. And uh, he goes, why don't you think about it? Let's chat it in a, in a week or so. And, you know, honestly, I just had to get over, you know, my pride, my ego. Um, and I laugh, you know, and I tell this story to many clients over the years, including my own team. They've heard this multiple times. But my lack of self-awareness was like the size of the Grand Canyon. Now, here I am thinking I'm pretty self-aware. I think I kind of get myself. But I really was so surprised by some of the feedback I got from people, you know, through this tool. So it really started a journey, which hasn't stopped, by the way, um, of really trying to understand is what leadership is for me. And fast forward to your question about why the book you know, I've been thinking for a few years about writing a book, but I really, you know, I, I think it's important to have a voice. We all need to have a voice of, of what we believe in, what we're passionate about, what our purpose is. I just wasn't really sure what I wanted to write about. And, um, you know, this is actually before COVID, believe it or not. But we're, I was having a conversation with my direct team and we were kind of talking about leadership. And then it just kind of popped in my brain. I said, what's the future of leadership? You know, leadership has been changing dramatically the last few years. But there really isn't anything out there that's really addressing that. Now, ironically, this is before COVID, right? So I wrote the book before COVID. You know, fast forward, I publish it during COVID and it becomes very applicable, you know, what we're all went through during COVID. If I had to write it now, I probably would emphasize certain things differently and maybe put more emphasis on certain topics. But everything in the book is very applicable to what we've been living in the last two and a half years. And to your point, Lisa, I wanted to write a book that was practical, that people could walk away with some practical tools and knowledge and techniques and insight they can apply uh, to themselves. So the book really was about two things. One was about the right the future. What's the future of leadership? And based upon our interviews with CEOs and clients and research, we came up with this concept called the Agile Leader. Um, and then the other portion of the book, as you know, was really a roadmap. It's a roadmap for any leader at any level, including C-level, that says, how do I get to the next level as a leader? And yes, not everything in the book's gonna apply to everybody, but it is a roadmap. It, it, I really try to provide a comprehensive roadmap of concepts and practical strategies and tools for people to really uh, apply and internalize. So that, that was really the message and the story That's behind great. the and book. And that was the other thing that um, I know we both really liked about it was that it really is for any level. Um, even if you're not in business, we're all leaders in life. You know, we, we lead in some area of our yes. life, um, whether we're aware of that or, or not. You have kids, you, you know, you whatever it is. But so you were able. Exactly. Really exactly. Yeah. And that, that's a really important comment. And not to overemphasize it, but we are. We're leaders in our mm -hmm. families, in our communities. Um, it's more important than ever. Like the world's the world's not is, is more complex than ever. Mm -hmm. It's not simple out there. We're dealing with all kinds of messages, whether it's the media, by certain groups and certain strong opinions. We all need to step up. And and, and that's yeah. that's what and, this and book is about. And so as complex as this world is that we're living in, and, and so when, with all of the disruption that we have, what you seem to come across time and time again, and this book is a perfect example of it, is that the changes we need to make are, are relatively simple. Right. It's not an overhauling of our personalities yeah. or our ethics or goals. It's it's kind of a tweak and a focus. And oh yeah, geez, I didn't think that I, if I worked on that, it would have this much of an impact. Um, what what would you say are some of the most um, common traits of successful CEOs and leaders? Yeah, I think there's a few. 
I think you know the intensity of change is 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 intense uh, as we've ever seen in life. Um, the the cycles of change are getting smaller, shorter, and smaller. Um, there's so much happening in terms of multiple generations. Uh, innovation cycles getting shorter, the pressures of globalization and competition, and the pressure of having to almost reinvent yourself um, sooner than later. Um, and then you got the, the the pressures of new employees and the focus and emphasis on diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice, and Me Too, and uh, you know all the other concepts that are out there that you have to deal with. So it's not easy. So so to your point. What do leaders need to do? Now, some of this is counterintuitive, but hopefully this will make sense. Slow down. You know, we, we all move so quickly and we all live in the now. And trust me, I move 100 plus miles an hour myself and I'm a pretty intense guy, but we have to create time for self-reflection and we have to create time to be strategic and to think. And too many people are moving from Zoom meeting or video meeting or in-person meeting to meeting. They don't have time to think. They don't have time to connect with people. So slowing down, creating time for self-thought, for reflection, for, for, for thinking is really, really critical. That's a really, really probably the number one attribute that successful leaders have today is that ability. The second is, is not being afraid to ask for input and advice and, and feedback, to be able to be vulnerable enough and humble enough to say, I don't have all the answers. I'm going to make mistakes. I need to learn not just what you have to think around me, but feedback on me. What can I do to be more effective? And the ability to ask for that in an authentic, sincere way and then stop and listen and not get defensive and not react to it. Um, so critical for leaders today. Um, and we always talk, this is not a new concept, but the ability to learn. I mean, as a leader, you, you have to, and this goes back to creating time. If you're so busy in meetings or dealing with Wall Street or your investors uh, or clients or the marketplace or technology, whatever your focus is as a C-level executive or senior leader, you know, are you learning? Are you creating time to spend time? What's going on in the marketplace? What's happening in your industry? What's happening with consumers or, you know, your, your buyers or whoever your key stakeholders are, you know, being externally focused. You know, leaders today are way too internally focused. They need to be more externally focused. They're too involved in the day-to-day. Uh, so those are just a cut. There's more, but that, that's, let me start, start there. Those are some of the really key things that leaders need to focus on. So say on. somebody is a leader and either you go in there to, to coach a CEO or just somebody in general asks you, what are some of the techniques that a CEO, let's say, is just overwhelmed with workload? What are, what is some way that they could take time specifically and strategically to then think about what's going on at work, their life, or what are some tools that they can use? Yeah, no, great question, Costa. There, there's a couple of things you have to do. Um, start first. What you got to start with that, that taking a step back, because most leaders today, including C level executives, are not spending time where they need to. They're getting caught up in the meetings and the requests. And hey, can you be part of this? Can you be part of that? As a leader, you have to learn how to say no in a respectful, supportive way. You just can't be everything to everybody. You can't be everywhere. You have to recognize I need to spend time in a very strategic, effective way. Now, I'm not going to necessarily use Warren Buffett as a, as a great example because he's more of an investor. But if you know anything about him, he really gets to know his industries. He gets to know the companies that he's invested in. He spends a lot of time meeting people, talking to people. But guess what? If you looked at his calendar, 
here's the guy, the most probably successful investor in the world, if ever. I mean, his, his, he doesn't have a calendar. It's blank. Okay. And it's a true story. He did an interview uh, recently and, uh, you know, people were, were amazed that, you know, he, they, they laughed because he, now again, he's, he's what, he's in his late eighties now, early nineties. So, but th he's always been like this. It's not just a recent event. So that's an extreme example, but we're too caught up in our, in our schedules of meetings. And, and as a leader today, you got to take a step back and really think about, you know, where am I spending my time? That, that's the number one question that leaders today need to ask themselves. They need to disrupt their schedules and not only for themselves, for their teams, for their organization. We're becoming a slave of video meetings, We're becoming a slave of the day to day. And don't be wrong, day to day and execution is critical. But it goes back to as a leader, where are you spending your time? That's the number one most critical thing I've been seeing, not just yeah. recently, for years. And, and where, you know, so we've got these kind of two schools of, of not even thought, but of being. So the, the younger generation is used to this more disrupted, agile pivot. You know, let's get things done. I don't believe in, you know, working 80 hours a week and, and God love them for that. Right. I, I don't either. Um, and then, but yet they don't have the experience. So, you know, business traditions are, you know, there's a structure that is helpful that has worked through the years that they may not have. So reinventing that wheel isn't necessarily important. Um, but taking those C-level um, executives and kind of teaching an old dog new tricks um, can also be difficult. So how do you marry the two? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the, the good news is most executives, yes, they've gotten to where they've gotten to based upon their formula for success, wherever that may be. And, when, and in a lot of ways, we become, uh, we want to call it addicted or we get comfortable with that. And yes, the, hard, the older you get, the more successful you get, the more accomplished you are, the more senior you are, the harder it is to take a step back and say, wait a minute, is my formula right? Do I need to modify it? So it all starts with mindset. You know, mindset's a big concept. It's been around for a long time, but I don't care where you are, who you are, what your background is, but you have, again, you have to take a step back and say, do I have the right mindset to recalibrate uh, and disrupt where I'm spending my time how I'm approaching my role, <clears throat> am I willing to modify my formula for success? And that requires change. And it requires us to think differently, see things differently. And that's why coaches and advisors are there to be able to be an outside voice, to talk them through how to do that, how to, how to, how to look at you know, how they're spending their time, how they're running their businesses, how they're managing their organizations, how they're developing the next generation of leaders, whatever they're focuses may be and how to do that differently because it is about doing it differently. It is about change. And we have to be, you know, we have to put some of our ego and our success. And that's the hardest thing to do because the more successful you are, the harder it is to say, am I willing to disrupt and change my formula for success? But that that's what gets the leader to be, to be more effective in the future. The moment you settle, the moment you put it into auto drive, that's where you're in trouble, not just as a leader, but as a business. And there's plenty of businesses, you know, that are now buried on the side of a road, like the blockbusters of the world, that were the leaders of their industries for many, many years. And they're, they're done. Why? Because they put in auto drive. I definitely think the egos, like as soon as you were talking about that, about being coaches and stuff like that, I think that ego definitely gets in the way of a lot of people out there. Because when before I even like thought about having, I didn't even know like the most successful CEOs and stuff had business coaches. It was like, it wasn't until I really got into like the, the business world when I was 
later in life, whatever later is my twenties, more get involved in the world. It was like, wow, like these, these top like CEOs of the, these people that are crazy successful, they have coaches that they go to. And it was just kind of like a, like a opening experience. Like I, I think I was reading something about, uh, Steve Jobs had somebody specific for um, just to coach him at the, the presentations that he did and go through so many iterations. Um, can you talk about like, is there any like pushback from certain CEOs, like not hear feedback or the certain CEOs that are at that top level recognize enough that they do need feedback to actually push them to get forward to the position they want to be in their company? No, it's a great question. I, I, what I would say is this, look, I've worked with many executives at the you know VP up to the C level, including CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, they're not always asking for a coach. <laughs> Often it's the board of directors or their boss, the chair of the board or the CEO or whoever their boss may be that says, hey, I think a coach would be helpful. And um, there's one very basic truism. I don't care who you are. I don't care who the coach is or the advisor is. But if you're not open and receptive to being coached and developed, you're not going to be, it's not going to help. It's not going to work. So it all starts with you. It goes back to my, my earlier comment. You know, are you willing to be coached or you're receptive and open-minded that says, I don't have all the answers. I don't have the formula for success completely nailed down. And maybe I got to take a step back and be willing to think about doing something differently for myself and, and learn. Um, I remember working with one very, very famous executive, and I use this actually, this comment in my book. I talk about this concept, have you arrived? And the most dangerous thing that can happen to all of us, I don't care who we are, including the experts in our professions, uh, whether you become a a quote unquote leader in your company or not, you just can be just an expert in what you do for a living. But from the moment you feel you've arrived, which is, hey, I I feel I've got, I I know it all. I'm I'm at the pinnacle of my career, my success, my expertise. Maybe I'm the the leader in what I do for a living as far as as thought leadership or technology or science or whatever it may be. But the moment you have that mindset is the moment you're susceptible for no longer learning, no longer being open and being curious. And those are characteristics, no matter who you are, you need to continue to have. You, you talk about, I've got all of that is so true. And you talk in your book about um, the secret sauce, you know, and, um, right. and all of everything in that <laughs> sauce is so critical. And it's about self-awareness and, 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 and development and, 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 and t- talk a little bit about all of those traits and characteristics that go into it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, there, I, I could have used many, many different ingredients to the secret sauce. I, li- I like the concept of secret sauce, one, because I like to eat, by the way. And, and, I don't, and most of us, if we like to cook, we always have our secret sauces, right? And, and, and I had a lot of friends over the years of my career that were from the South, and especially when it came to barbecue, everyone liked to talk about their secret sauces. Anyway, so yeah, so there's a lot of things about that, right? There's We've already talked about feedback. Your ability to ask for feedback is a really critical aspect. Um, your ability to, to have passion, to figure out what you're passionate about and, and to live that passion. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate. I, you know, I've been, I love what I do. I've been in this industry for many, many years. Um, but the fact that when I became a coach and, and be able to work with people and helping them make a difference in their lives, not just in their professions, but in their lives, that that's part of my purpose and part of my passion. But yes, let's start with self-awareness because that is the foundation. And self-awareness is a, is a couple of things. It's Yes, there's some traditional tools out there like behavioral assessments. We talked about 
360 assessment earlier, but you really need to understand who you are. You need to understand what makes you tick, why you get up in the morning, uh, how, how you deal with pressure and stress, what triggers you emotionally, how do you manage your emotion more effectively. That's a big part of emotional intelligence, which I talk about in the book, which is a very important concept. So understanding how you impact others um, is really important. So that's self-awareness. Another aspect of self-awareness, and I talk about this in my book, is the two-sided coin. You know, do you really accept yourself? Do you kind of understand yourself and recognize, look, I don't care who you are. Um, yes, may, maybe there is that, that extreme example of someone who loves themselves so much they don't find anything wrong oh, with themselves. Oh, there's plenty of people like well, that. Well, guess what? That's not really the majority of the human race, right? The majority of the human race, you know, we, we all have insecurities. We all have things we don't like about ourselves, whether it's how we look, how we talk, how we respond. Uh, it doesn't really, you know, there's all kinds of qualities and attributes um, that we are insecure about. And, you know, it's an amazing thing that happens into your life at some point when you simply accept yourself for who you are. It doesn't mean that you don't stop developing yourself. It doesn't mean that you're not still trying to learn and grow and be a better person. But you still have to accept yourself and get comfortable in your own skin. So that's a really, really big part of the secret sauce. I noticed, like, especially, too, when you're when you're hitting those points of self-awareness, there's so many things in the book that you can implement. It's often like overwhelming to be like, wow, I can do all these things. I can be better in all these different areas. Um, I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, but to me, when I read the book and I think about it, it really seems like everything starts within with yourself and fixing yourself, your issues. And then that is then trans, you can transport that and, and it's kind of looking for the right word to say like brushed upon other people. But if, if you're doing the right things and you're leading by example and you've done the self work, it almost feels as though, all these traits, if you master them and you get them under it, then they will brush off on other people. Yeah, that's a really great uh, observation, Costa. And, and you're right. And I think, and I, again, I, maybe you could relate, both of you could relate to this. I know I went through this phase. When you try to be there for everyone else, you know, whether it's your people, your family, your friends, uh, your community, whatever it may be. And I talk about sort of the four quadrants in life, which I just named yourself, your family, your community, and then your job, Right. What happens is if you don't take care of yourself, how effective are you going to be to be with the world around you? So yes, you know you've got to start with yourself, and it's a lifelong journey. And one thing that's really critical because, uh, and I and I talk about this briefly in the book, but just because we know doesn't mean we do. So you can read a book like my book, and yes, there's a lot of information there, but to apply it and to live that, that's that's that that's that's practice, that's incorporation, and you can't do everything at once. It is about incremental knowledge, incremental improvement, incremental uh, involvement of who we are as people. And, and for some of it, it's a lifelong journey. Look, the things that get me to trouble, um, Lisa Acosta, still gets me to trouble today. Has it changed my whole life? Um, am yeah. I better at it? Yes. But do they still get me to trouble? Absolutely. Right. Especially oh when God, I get triggered. Is, I, I said the same um, thing. It's like, you know yes. what? We're not going to, we're about tweaking and changing. Like whatever our issues are, they just become, well, I'll speak for myself. Whatever my issues are, they're probably the same as when I was in my twenties, but they're more manageable. And I've, you know, I, I'm, I work on self-awareness. I'm into all that stuff. And so the, the more we work on ourselves, the less we are triggered that allows our communications and interactions with other people to be so much softer, right? And, but if you're just reading it and you're not embodying it, it doesn't, it's not going to be effective. 
Well, and again, I agree with you. And I, and I, you know, I, at the same time, you don't want to over rotate because you still have to live your life. You got to be there for your family and your friends and your work and your, and your community. But I think it's important. There's no such thing as balance, right? Balance is not a, is not a, a 50, 50, whatever the percentages are, 25, 25, 25, 25 split. It's really about quality time and focus and, and showing up and being present in those parts of your life and, and recognizing how to show up and be mindful and, um, and recognizing you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. Don't be beating yourself up when you do. Um, there's so many aspects of this. So yes, you've got to start with yourself, but at the same time, you're, you're still got to live your life out there. You know, you, you know, I'm not talking about becoming a hermit and waiting for you to find enlightenment before you go out in the world, right? You still have to live your life every day. Um, but as I said earlier, pause, stop, slow down, reflect, think. Uh, I don't care who you are, no matter where you are in your life. That that because we get caught up in the day to day, we get caught up in the in the chaos of the world around us, and and you got to take care of yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, uh, so you can be effective with the world around you. That that um, brings us to you're at that point. You're you're learning about yourself. You're you're being in the world. You're you're you know whatever self actualizing. It's so overused, but. Um, Feedback is so important. So when I first read your, the, you know, the 360 degree um, feedback, I thought, oh boy, I'd probably have a hard time with that. Um, and I, and one of the things that came up was, okay, so I, I don't have a hard time getting feedback from someone that I would respect, but if I got feedback of something negative on myself that was coming from someone who I could tell had e either envy or hadn't actually done, you know, that in their life, so they weren't qualified to give that kind of feedback. Um, how feedback is so important. How, what are some, um, what's a framework, a couple things here. What, what would be a framework to ask for feedback and who should you, how should you kind of vet someone out to see if they are the right person to be giving that kind of feedback? Is that Makes sense. Yeah, you know, it does. I mean, so you said a couple of things that are really important. I mean, and cut, some of this part of it is security. So one, we have to start with being, being comfortable with the concept of feedback. Some of us are afraid to get feedback. Some of us are afraid for people to give us feedback because it, it can hurt. It can, it can strike a chord. And if we're working so hard to be a certain way, we're fearful of someone telling us or not doing what we're trying to do. And that can be really, really hard. So we have to overcome the fear and the worry and the insecurity of not hearing what we want to hear. Now, you got to start with that. Now, you said something interesting. Sometimes we're going to get feedback from people that maybe we're not going to respect or they're not coming from a good place. Well, you've got to take that at, at, at face value. You know, if someone's giving you feedback that's not from the right place, that maybe hasn't the best level of maturity, I still say rise above. Be, be respectful and say, look, thank you. I appreciate your feedback. Um, if you've got questions, ask questions. Uh, and the questions may be if, if something they may have missed. But at the same time, you still have to say, look, I appreciate you know giving me feedback. Now, if it's coming from a really bad place and the feedback is really meant to hurt you and, and meant to be disrespectful, that's a whole different story. You know, that's not really feedback. That's that's argumentative. That that's that's a that's a way to kind of trigger you. That's a whole different concept. And and you don't don't take the bait, you know. Looked up and said, look, if you really want to have a conversation, let's have a conversation. You know, I'm happy to chat through. But, you know, 
you know, you, what do you want to do? You want to de-escalate, especially the person, the person themselves, emotional and triggered. They're not giving you feedback. They're venting. So that's a whole different, you know, category. Okay. But the, 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 why is feedback so powerful? Why is it, so there's a couple of really important things, Lisa and Costa. One, you're letting people know that you care about their opinion. Their opinion matters. I care about what you think. That's number one. Number two, um, your feedback to me, your input is important, but also I am receptive to feedback and input. I don't have all the answers. There are things I'm actually working on to get better at. You're sending that message that I'm not perfect. I'm trying to get better. There are things I'm trying to work on. I don't care who you are, where you are in your life. There's always something to work on. Always. It never ends. So you're sending some very, very important messages. And going back to your question or framework, you know, be specific. If you want to say, hey, I, you know, I love to get feedback. Well, most people are going to really struggle with that. But if you're going to say, you know what, I realize that I'm always a good listener. I'm just trying to offer my opinion. And then I'm asking people what they think. And I know that's not really effective. I'm trying to get better at that. Can you know, can you, can you, I'm trying to work on that. Have I gotten better at it? If not, any suggestions that you have for me? Like that's a very specific question or specific thing that I'm trying to work on. So be specific. And then most importantly, listen, as I said earlier, you know, don't get, don't get defensive. Don't try to justify, don't make facial expressions, you know, don't, don't change your body posture, be receptive. Because if you do all those things, are you going to get feedback ever again? No, people are not going to waste their time. So you're sending a very positive, important message by asking for it, but you got to ask for it in a very, very effective way. Yeah, completely agree. So say you get hired to come into a company and coach one of their the CEO of the company or a leader at the company. What does that process look like? What is the first 30 day kind of rollout or what are you going to do with that person first? Well, that's a really specific question, Costa. <laughs> um, so, you know, believe it or not, it starts with the relationship. You know, you really have to st- establish openness and transparency and trust. So, you know, my job is not to show up as the expert, is to show up and really establish a relationship. And for some people, that's very easy to do. But we all know for some people, a little bit more reserved, a little bit more skeptical, especially if they're, they're not necessarily wanting to be there initially. And you've got to be patient. You'll let that evolve. So establishing relationship, establishing trust, establishing openness and transparency and confidentiality that we're here for each other, that I'm here to get to know you and you're here to get to know me, that we're really trying to develop a partnership. That's really, really critical. Um, and and it, that, that evolves differently depending on the person's personality. The second thing is creating really time, investment of time into the process and the program, meaning we're going to meet at least every two weeks, sometimes weekly, depending on the urgency of the issues or the needs or the complexity. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of laying a groundwork and foundation of expectations of how often we're going to meet. You know, what are we going to work on? What does the process look like? And frankly, depending on the executive and the organization, and the culture, you know, the process is going to evolve organically or, or change depending on what we're trying to work on. But going to you know what we talked about earlier, it starts with self awareness. So if they haven't done it, uh, we're gonna ha- I'm gonna put them through a behavioral assessment, um, a tool I like. I'm a huge fan of called the Predictive Index or PI, which I talk about in the book. Um, I'm also gonna do a verbal 360 assessment, which are interviews to talk to peers, a boss if they have one, um, and then direct reports as well as other key stakeholders. So I kind of really understand this person in a very comprehensive way. 
Then I'm going to provide a feedback report, confidential, doesn't say who said what, that summarizes you know, how they're perceived, both in terms of their strengths as well as their potential development opportunities and just opportunities in general to be more aware of the impact they have on others. And I'm also, in that report, I'm also going to capture their self-assessment to say, hey, this is how you assessed yourself. Here's how you're seen by others. What's similar? What's different? Uh, what are the gaps? How do you reconcile that? And then uh, we're going to put together essentially an action plan. And then, of course, in between all that, there's coaching, there's discussions. We're going to talk about real-life situations. Most leaders today have conflict, right? How do I deal with the conflict of my direct report or my peer or key person in my organization or maybe someone on the board? Um, so how do I deal with a relationship that's gone sour or that's not effective? Or how do I deal with getting my organization through a massive change or how do I get them to another level of effectiveness and success? Maybe it's my leadership team. You know, maybe we're not aligned. How do I gain greater alignment? Maybe I have a cultural issue with my organization. How do I create a stronger culture? So there's a litany of potential additional, I call strategic issues and needs and challenges that we're going to get into. So part of it's coaching, which is where I started with in terms of the self-awareness and the, and the interviews and the feedback. And there's also what I call the advisory role or the consulting role, which is the strategic part of their job and how to be effective. So I try to do a hybrid approach. Honestly, Costa, I'm not a, you know, the traditional coach is really going to focus on the behavioral side. I think that's really foundational, critical, but it can't be all about that. And frankly, a lot of leaders today have been through all that. So for them, it's missing tools and knowledge in their toolbox and how to get to the next level. I mean, that was an amazing breakdown. The word that I kept going back to and thinking about is time. And specifically, by what I mean that is implementing those things take time. And I think especially now, everybody wants that instant gratification. They're not willing to to see how long things take. What I kept kind of thinking there too is, how long does that process usually take? And the reason I ask that is because, let's say you're hired as a coach or you're in a service-based business and you're, and you're providing a service for a client. Yeah. You're always under the, under, or you sometimes feel pressure. Like I need to deliver results to this client, but you know, well and good that whether it's a marketing plan or you're coming in to coach to actually implement the change and do this properly, it's going to take time. So how do you balance that idea of, Hey, I need to deliver a result. So this person actually can feel that my time's worth it or they're, what they're paying for is worth it with that idea of actually doing what's needed, even though that might take longer on a time period to, to go for. Yeah, I, I remind people usually with a couple of stories. So um, I won't get into both of them, but I'll use a very one we can all relate to for the most part. Um, for the most part. So it's going to the gym, right? And this is a great time of year because if we enter the winter, especially here in the Northeast, where I'm where I am at least, um, or depending on where you are in the world, uh, you know, there's also the New Year resolution element, right? You know, for those of us like, this is the year I'm going to get fit or healthy or I'm going to lose weight or whatever your, your, your physical goals may be. And what ends up happening is we end up going to the gym and I think we can all relate to this a little bit. And we work out like crazy and all of a sudden we're in a lot of pain and we're not seeing what it hurts. It sucks. We don't feel great. And second, it's like, well, I don't feel like anything's changing. And we stop. Right. And, and we stop for a lot, a lot of reasons. But we predominantly stop because to your earlier point. We, we do live in a world we want instant gratification, instant results, instant success, instant whatever it may be. And, um, you know, when you're working out, again, whatever your goals may be, it just may be to be healthy. It may be to better get in better condition physically. It may be to lose weight, maybe gain muscle, 
whatever your goals may be, it's a process. And for any of us who's ever exercised, we know it takes months before you actually get to see results. And it takes discipline, it takes commitment, and you got to go to at least two, three times a week. Um, and if you're trying to sleep better or whatever, whatever the objectives may be. And that's the, and like behavioral modification and change, learning new skills, changing your, your day, your schedule, where you spend your time, getting to the next level as a leader. It's a commitment. It's, it's, it's a knowledge. It's a skill base like any other profession. Uh, so it, you have to think about it in incremental, intermediate steps because you're not going to get from A to Z overnight. It's not an overnight success story. It goes back to what I said earlier. Just because we know, we don't do. It's not a light switch. So we have to be realistic about how long it's going to take. Yes, yeah, sometimes there's low-hanging fruit and, and utilize that, but we have to also understand that it's a process and there needs to be commitment, there needs to be discipline in order for that change and that evolution to occur. I love that example. I'm super, we're both all into fitness here, me, me and Lisa. So I think, um, I love how you'd explain that in that terms. I think antidote is the right word or uh, something with that. But uh, uh, I think specifically giving examples and stories like that, what you said that they're instantly clicked in, in my mind. And I think a lot of people, um, when they get into this kind of world of, of business and stuff like that, it can, there's a lot to like take in, for example, as we were saying before, like there's a lot of things that you can do to become a better leader. But I think those little kind of stories and things that people can connect in their brain, um, make it a lot easier for people to understand that. That leads me into my next question. Um, how do you, and this is something we're going through now, uh, especially for me personally, being a, a younger, uh, entrepreneur of how do you build a high performing team? Yeah, that's a really key question, right? So first, you got to start with, do you really understand each other? Do you understand how you think? Do you understand how you process, how you make decisions? Um, are you willing, and this is a scary word, do you have conflict? Okay, because we've become a very conflict-averse society, right? Um, you know, you know the whole woke culture aspect, but even before COVID and before all the social injustice real issues, by the way, and movement, um, you know, we, we had conflict issues in corporate America. We did. It's just gotten worse. But but the challenge is, sincerely, is are you willing to have courageous dialogue? Can you be respectful and agree to disagree? You know, are we willing to, to, to allow people to be heard? Um, so there's a big concept uh, in, in corporate America that's to gain momentum the last few years. I'll talk about in the book as well briefly. I'll put more emphasis on it now, and that's around psychological safety, which essentially is creating an environment where people feel they can be heard. They have a voice. They're going to be respected, uh, no matter who they are, how young or old they are, how new they are, how you know how long they've been work there. It doesn't make a difference. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has an opinion, and they should be heard. And you have to create a work a work environment that's safe, that people feel they can challenge a status quo. Uh, they have ideas. They can fail. You know, I talk about this in the book, you know, in terms, can you ride the wave, right? How do you create stability for yourself and your organization during times of chaos? And so you've got to create an environment where it's okay to fail. It's okay to make a mistake. So communication, transparency, openness is critical, but creating that right work environment. And you got to get to understand your people. What makes them tick? How do they think? How do they process? Um what, what is success for them? What are, they, what are their passions? What do they aspire to be? What keeps them awake at night? So you got to get to know everybody on the team individually, but they all need to know each other. And they ha you have to be able to operate in a certain way. And that goes back to that creating that, that, that safe work environment. It's really, really critical. 
And where failure is not a bad word, right. mistakes are not a bad word. You talk a lot, um, this kind of dovetails on the end of this, that you talk a lot in your book also about um, the executive presence, you know, and, and so that could go a long way to creating that type of culture. Can you talk a little bit about what executive presence is and why it's so important and how a leader could increase that? Yeah, I mean, executive presence is applicable to all of us, okay? So whether you've got an official leadership title or not, it's really, again, about having emotional intelligence, meaning do I understand the impact I have on others? Do I, do I have emotional, the ability to be emotionally uh, uh, effective? What I mean by that is can I manage my emotions in a way where I'm not going to explode or get triggered? So I, as you probably remember, I got a whole book, uh, I'm sorry, a whole chapter in my book around triggers. And I keep on referring to that because everyone has triggers. We all get triggered by a personality, by someone that you know, someone says, or by style, or by a person treating a person a certain way or not treating them a certain way. So there's a whole lit litany of what triggers us and our ability to manage our emotions and how we show up and have presence because we actually care about the impact we have on others. Are we able to be situationally effective? Can we change our approach depending who our audience is? Um, that, that's part of really some of the, the really key aspects of leadership is our ability to be agile depending who our audience is and recognize that it's not about you being a chameleon. It's not about being disauthentic. If anything, you want to be authentic. You want to be transparent. You want to be yourself, but you can also be Thanks. situational depending on who your audience is. This has been, this has been fantastic. And I know we're coming to the, the end of our hour. Um, so everybody, click away and get this book. Can you see yeah, it? There we go. The, yeah. Can you, we got two books on the screen. <laughs> we both picked up their own copies. That was very, very nice to you. Uh, look, I mean, I, I wrote this book for one reason is I wanted to make a difference, you know, so it goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning, you know, who are we, you know, what, what really inspires us every day? What are we trying to grow and learn to be, you know, what's our passion? Uh, what's the impact we want to have? And uh, you've got to start with that. Uh, that that's gonna that's gonna allow you to live not only authentic life but also to create authenticity for yourself. Um, so I appreciate wanting well, we appreciate to have that conversation. you taking the time to uh, come and have this discussion. Um, we look forward to having you back, and uh, we'll talk with you soon. 